the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 247 for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I am Dave Hamilton here in uh, dark New Hampshire. <laughs> that is a state of being. Uh, and and uh, John Braun is down there, and uh, you're in Fairfield still, right, as far as we know? Uh, which is light. Um, it's actually rainy, snowy. Yeah. No, mostly rain. I don't know. We're, we're blessed here, and, and you're not. You're cursed. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Fortunately, you're well prepared with your generator. Otherwise, you would be in the dark. Yeah, we had a windstorm last Thursday night. Uh, one of the biggest storms the area's ever seen. I think one town over in Portsmouth, they clocked winds at 91 miles an hour. Trees down everywhere. Um, and our neighborhood, our area in general was one of the hardest hit. Our neighborhood was uh, one of the hardest hit within that. And uh, and we've got one stretch of trees. They're still working on them now. They're working on it. Uh, they've cleared the trees. Now they have to rebuild. It took down power lines and poles. So uh, they finally rebuilt the pole yesterday and are building, uh, you know, restringing the lines. So we're hoping to get power today, but this is day six of this uh, of this lovely outage. Tree-mageddon is what they're calling it, or at least that's Oddly what they call it in the paper. Well, obviously you have um – internet i found that kind of unusual that they got that working well so here's the thing um oftentimes when the power goes out even with lines down in this case the cable lines are still active and i think this is my theory but i think it's because they're coming in from different angles so you know you could think about the tvs in your house right i mean you can you can have them all in a loop essentially and it doesn't matter and it just works so I think uh, either there's there's a loop where there's multiple points at which it connects to the, the cable network for the neighborhood, or it just so happens that the path that the cable lines take in uh, is not the path that's that's uh, that's ever been hit. But what does happen is the cable lines, you know, the power will go out and the cable will work for uh, several hours, usually five or six hours, and then it goes dead. And and what happens is at the head end. Uh, they've got battery backups on all their stuff, and of course they lose power just like the rest of us do, and uh, and so you know it, it powers down uh, out there, and and then then you lose service even if the connection is still good. Um, but the other day, I think we were about what three or four days into this, I saw some Comcast trucks in the neighborhood, so I decided, and I'd been trying once a day just plugging in either a TV or the cable modem or something to see if it would sync up, and when we got home, I plugged it in, and sure enough, we've got you know, full digital cable. And obviously the cable modem is working and you and I are talking on Skype over it right now. Okay. But, but so. yeah, our power is, is generated. We have, um, we have a portable generator connected to the house. And the reason I did the portable thing is because the house and the office have two separate, uh, power feeds. So I wanted to have the option of doing both without buying two generators. So we wired them up appropriately, of course, uh, using what they call Gentran boxes, which allow you to uh, pick which circuits are going to be on the generator, and you either have them online, off, or on generator, and that way you're not ever crossing the circuit and feeding power back into the system, because the, the electricians and power line operators don't like that, for obvious reasons. And uh, 
And so we've got that we've got that going. So I'm actually in the house. I I chose not to do this in the office today, John, because it was like 40 degrees over there and I didn't want to have to wait for it to heat up. So I'm in the house on what would normally be my my travel setup. So I have my laptop and I'm using for the first time I'm testing out this Yeti microphone from Blue. Uh they gave me a sample at Macworld Expo to check out. So I wanted to I wanted to do a podcast with it at some point. I figured it would be when I was traveling, but uh I am traveling. I've just traveled across the driveway. And uh, there's the phones in the house ringing and all the normal noise interruptions that we disable in the studio. But uh, but it seems to be okay. I can't get the zero latency monitoring to work, so I'm hearing myself on a bit of a delay, uh, which isn't all that much fun, but I'll deal with it. So that I think that, that describes what we've got going on here, John, yeah? Yeah, no, you're sounding good. Good. All right, uh, so we have... As I was going through and prepping the show yesterday, John, I found we have more stuff in the cool stuff found category than we've had uh, in a long time. So, so let's uh, let's do some of that cool stuff found. Yeah. But but well, it's first, understand. Go ahead. It's understandable though because we have uh, at least I think very cool listeners. So I think that's it, exactly. It, it would yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that we have an abundance of uh, yeah, and keep yeah, sending this stuff in. It's great. Okay. Anyways, but but you were saying. Um, yeah, before before we do that, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Smile on My Mac with PDF Pen. Now, PDF Pen is a program that you can use to manipulate and edit uh, PDF files. You can pull a PD, an existing PDF into it, rearrange it. You can annotate it. You can edit the text if the text is uh, – in 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 text form as opposed to graphic form and it works really really well i had to change the date on something and instead of going in and like drawing a line actually the first thing i did with pdf pen was i drew a little line uh and then you know put some extra text over it and i thought wait a minute i can edit the text so i removed those i highlighted the date i hit the little edit text button and it popped up and uh, sure enough the enough of the font was embedded in the pdf that it just let me edit it no problem and i was able to make it look clean and nice and all that good stuff. So uh, PDF Pen also has an OCR uh, uh, engine built in where if you do scan something in that doesn't have editable text, it will convert it to editable text uh, and make saving the PDF much smaller because instead of it being a, an image, now it's, uh, it's, just, uh, it's just text. So this is all available at smileonmymac.com for $49.95, but of course... There's a free trial. You get it for 30 days to test it out, and uh, they even have a 90-day money-back guarantee on top of that. So check it out, smileonmymac.com, PDF pen. All right. You, you with me, John? I'm with you. All right. My monitoring is a little weird today, so forgive me if I talk over you. Just keep PDF if, pen. If I, I start talking over you, John, just keep, uh, keep talking, and I'll shut up. <laughs> All right. So the first thing that we have on the list comes from Kirk. Uh, and he writes, here's a pretty cool system preference pane that I just stumbled on. It sets itself as the default browser and gives you a choice of which browser to open uh, for any link that you click. If a browser is already open, it can be set to just open it in the already running browser. Pretty cool for someone who changes browsers more often than he changes shirts, relying on stuff like 1Password and X marks to keep passwords and bookmarks in sync. And the... Uh, the preference pane is called Choosy, C-H-O-O-S-Y, and it's available at ChoosyOSX.com. So, John, I guess if you, if you uh, click on links in email and you want to have it open in Safari or Firefox or OmniWeb or whatever, 
Uh, you can have this app set as your default browser, and really it's not a browser at all. It just lets you pick on the fly which browser you want to send mm-hmm. those links to. Yeah, I tried it actually, and uh, you got to fiddle with it a bit to uh, you know tell it do you want it to come up if uh, you know there's one browser open and, and all that. I, I put it in the mode where no matter what link, and you can ask it what's the links, and, and so uh, I put it in the mode where it actually comes up and it's, it's kind of a translucent thing, and it shows all of the potential apps that could handle the URL, whether they be browsers or sometimes you know an FTP program or something. Um, no, I like it. It's uh, uh, because you know I still run into this uh, uh, when I was doing taxes and stuff like that. There are still websites. Two of them. One is my power company. Now, you know they provide power, but they're. It's either <laughs> my power, nice my ga- it's either my power, or my gas company. Well, one of the two. But I go to them. No, no, it's a, it's United Illuminating. I go to their website. First, they put it on this stupid port ninety nine forty four, their billing interface, and then they come up and immediately say, "Oh, we don't work with Safari. Get Firefox." I'm like, guys. The other one is State of Connecticut, same thing. I go to them, and they're like, we don't support Safari. They're, they're smart enough to know that you're on Safari, but not smart enough to design their website to work with, a bra- with, with Safari, which kind of irks me. So, so this is something nice to uh, you know, let you uh, avoid that, that sort of headache. Or the other thing, actually, I mean, you probably know this, but you know, at least in Safari, and I'm sure other browsers, you can, uh, kind of the poor man's version of this, you can, you can uh, change the user agent. That, that's probably not the best solution because it's still working within the limitations or the characteristics of the browser. But, but I do that sometimes. In, uh, you, you can enable, enable the debug menu in Safari, and then uh, you can set the user agent to try to trick the person on the other end into thinking that you're on a different platform or different browser. Right. And if, uh, if you don't need those capabilities that are unique to that browser, sometimes tricking it can work with that debug menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Moving on. Are we good? Yes. All right. So uh, the second thing, a couple of weeks ago, we had a discussion about wanting to have the calculator always open and always on top. Uh, And we had a couple of different solutions for it, and you can go back and and listen for those. Jason wrote in, and he said, I, too, had the issue that Chris had with wanting a calculator that always remains on top of all windows. I took a different approach and learned Objective-C and Coco and created my own app that's a calculator and a Mac OS X heads-up display window. After hearing that others may be interested in the app, I spent the last couple of weeks finalizing the app for prime time, and I'm calling it HUDCalc. I'm letting anyone use it for free, and it can be downloaded at my website, and it's at morehelios.com slash HUDCalc, and we'll put a link in the show notes. But keep in mind that I'm still calling it beta, even though I heard your rant about that. So please don't wag your finger at me since I'm a man with little resources to fully test the product to a true 1.0 release. I think it's so cool that we had, you know, essentially a geek challenge solved by uh, someone that that has learned Objective-C and Coco to create an app that does it. So thank you, Jason. And uh, and you can go check it out. John, now, John, you uh, you checked it out, too, right? Yeah, it's um. I believe he, he, yeah, he says it's beta, so keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it basically did what it advertised. It hovers over um, everything else. You know, I think it's kind of translucent or you know more on the solid side, and uh, it's a basic calculator that um, is always there when you need it. That's awesome. That's awesome. You said you said you did have a couple of crashes with it, or a couple of buggy. Um, uh, not crashes. No, I actually did have a, a, and I'll have to document these for uh, for Jason. But I had a couple of situations where I. You know, we type in an equation and I hit equals and, and it didn't come up with a result. If I hit uh, AC, I guess, is all clear, uh, okay. then everything was fine. But but again, you know, it's a beta. Um, cool. and, and I don't know what, you know, uh, API he's wrestling with. Uh, 
you know, for input and stuff like that. So uh, I'll have to reproduce it. Um, and that's always a good thing for, uh, you know, any, uh, you know, shareware or beta. I mean, the reason it is beta is because developers are looking for feedback. So, uh, you know, the best thing is to try to document fully what you did. Hopefully it's reproducible. The, the, right. Those are the bugs that all, all of us developers hate, the ones that uh, sometimes happen. So, uh, so I'll document what I did. I may have been doing something screwy. I don't know. Sure. Cool. Thank you, Jason. All right. Uh, you know, the other night I was saying, oh, yep, here I am on the, on the couch. Uh, before cable came back, we were using the MiFi, which was a lifesaver because at least we were able to get online and, you know, our, our family could get online with their iPhones and our laptops and our netbooks and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, I tweeted something about it. And Andrew wrote back on Twitter and said, oh, you need to check, about, check out Flux, uh, especially if you're computing in low light or in the dark. And uh, so I did, and it's from a, a, at Stereopsis.com. Again, we'll put a link in the show notes. And what Flux does is you tell it, okay, uh, you know, it figures out your time zone. It knows uh, when, when the sun goes down, when it, when it comes up, and when you're going to be on what would be, you know, lighting inside your home. And you tell it what kind of lighting you have, you know, fluorescent, halogen, et cetera, et cetera. And then it changes the white point of your display gradually throughout the night so that the uh so that your computer doesn't give off that eerie blue glow uh in the dark or in low light situations or in 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 artificial light situations and uh and it's cool you, you know i'm sure people who who do you know graphics work and color matching and all that for a living would hate this definitely but uh but it's so much better my wife and i've been using it uh, on our machines at uh, you know at night and it is you you don't see that blue glow coming off of it and it does it changes it it makes it you know kind of more red or more uh more orange depending on on what's going on so very cool and then of course when it's daytime again it it sets it back to whatever your normal white point is and and you're good to go so definitely a a cool thing to check out it's called flux or f dot lux i guess is uh i guess is how it's done did you check this out john yeah, I try to too, and uh, so sometimes I'll, you know, uh, you know, pull out the laptop at night. And uh, now, fortunately, I have my system set up for, um, uh, you know, it always asks for a password on wake up. Okay. And you know, even though I'm the only one here, I'm I'm still just you know just just practicing good security. It always asks for a password when it wakes up, and at that point, the screen only has the dialogue. Um, you know, asking for the password. And if I don't remember to lower the brightness severely because the room's totally dark, um, I'll get blasted with a bright screen and, and it hurts a little bit. So You're talking about the next thing that we're going to discuss. You're not talking about flux. Okay, I'm talking about a situation you're, you're, I run into, which is a great lead-in. Yes. <laughs> but no, I saw this and yeah, it changes the temperature, which I agree with you. The, the, you know, the screen temperature is something that, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, we would screw up your color matching, but it, it it makes it yeah a lot more palatable to to the eye depending on the your inside lighting. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I did I did try this and it was neat because yeah it does it gradually. At first I'm like is this wor- is this thing working? Yeah, and it is just very slowly, so it doesn't it doesn't really shock. Yeah. But um yes, I inadvertently did a lead in into the uh, into the next one David. into the next one, which is called brightness control from splasm dot com, and uh, and what this does is it um it gives you one slider to control all your Macs displays uh, and dim them down so that you can be sure that your Mac isn't going uh, to 
you know, have a big bright screen, if you've got it on like in a hotel room or whatever, uh, where, you know, the Mac might wake up in the middle of the night and now suddenly the room is lit and you think it's daylight and you've got to get up and all that stuff. Uh, but John, you said you had a problem with, with this brightness control thing when, when the password window came up. Is that what you were saying? Um, not really, no, but when I activated this, mm. it seemed that this also grabbed on to the, the, the screen temperature because all of a sudden my screen got almost oversaturated using oh, this. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it looks like, a, and there may be, so I just tried it very quickly. I tried all of, uh, almost all of these things that we're okay. going to talk about very quickly. And the only thing I noticed is while it was running, it, it seemed to drive the screen temperature to, to uh, uh, at least on my, uh, my LCD on on my uh, my portable, uh, it seemed to almost be overdriving it, or it was it was too saturated for my taste. And and usually that's there's a setting somewhere, screen temperature thing, um, when you fiddle with color sync and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, huh? Interesting. So I, I got to look I got to look into it further, and uh, maybe I missed a uh, a setting. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, uh, moving on to the next cool thing found. We've been having uh, our discussion of alternatives to Quicken for managing your household or personal finances. And Alan Alan writes, uh, After trying several different pieces of software, I finally settled on MoneyWell and have been using it for more than a year now. It's a great program because not only does it let you track previous expenses, it also helps you in planning future ones and take control of your budget. It's basically an implementation of the envelope system, but it has many other features, including the possibility to connect to your bank and download the data. I highly recommend that you check it out at nothirst.com. Uh, and, and I went back and asked, uh, how, will it import Quicken data and how does it uh, do online banking? And it's, it's online banking is using direct connect. So it's not even forcing you to go through the, you know, slurp down the file and import it in unless your bank forces you to go through that process. And some do. Uh, but as far as importing your data, it'll, it'll support all the Quicken export formats. So I don't think it will read your Quicken file directly, but it will read a file that you've exported from Quicken to pull in uh, to MoneyWell. So we've got a couple to check out. We've got uh, Quicken Essentials, which is, of course, the new thing from Quicken. We've got MoneyWell, and we've got Money Dance. Uh, and I've, I've, I've started playing with the, the latter, Money Dance, and uh, I'm going to check out the other two as well because I'm, I think I'm done with Quicken 2007, but I need to find something that works as well. So. And what you you don't use any of this stuff to manage your finances, is that right, John? Nope i I use um <laughs> stickies. Stickies. Hey, you know what? Uh, you're not bankrupt, right? And the bill collector isn't beating down your door, is he? No, basically. Uh, so what I do? Well, well, I use a combination of systems. So one, I use stickies, and I basically just make a note of all my recurring payments. A lot of them actually I have, you know, happen, but. Um, I try to keep as little in my checking account as possible because it, uh, you know, draws, you know, pretty much zero interest. I, I think it's 0.01 or something like that. Sure. But I typically don't keep a lot of money in there unless it, unless it's necessary. And just you know, a few days beforehand, um, you know, I'll make sure that the money is uh, is is available there. And I, on stickies, I keep the schedule of things. And then also, I use the you know this envelope system he was talking about. I actually do that. So a couple of bills. Um, you know, I'll keep the envelopes out and scribble the due date on them. And then again, a couple of days beforehand, I'll go online and schedule it automatically. Now, yes, I could make my life easier. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of nervous about payments happening without me at least explicitly uh, 
you know, authorizing them. Sure, sure. A lot of the systems are good because they actually like, a, you know, Cablevision will have this and a few others will have it. Is I just don't want an unexpectedly large payment to occur when I didn't expect it. And then all of a sudden I'm overdrawn and you get nailed with like a $35 stupid overdraft fee. You're right. Yeah, the only ones that I'll let it do automatically are um, are those utilities that will bill to my credit card because at least that way I have uh, an easy recourse before it hits my checking account if there is some error and I earn points or miles or you know whatever True. it is. So, and actually, that's the one I do. And actually, one of mine actually gives me extra bonus money for uh, utilities. So yeah, okay. like uh, cable and electric. And, yeah, you know that I, I wish all of my payments would go to the credit card, but I guess a lot of them they don't want to do that because you know there is a small percentage hit. Yeah, you lose about two, 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 two and a half percent. Yeah. Yeah. So they still prefer going right to the the checking account. Makes yeah. my life a l- little bit more difficult. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I don't. I mean, I'll let my mortgage hit the the checking account, and I I think our life insurance I've now got set up to hit the checking account every three months or whatever. But uh, but yeah, otherwise, but I, I, I may explore these. They could, you know, give me the big picture. Uh, I have the big picture mm-hmm. in my head, but it'd be nice to you know see an analysis. And I've even noticed some of my credit card companies will break it down now i mean it's both useful and scary i mean they'll say okay you know you spent this much on food and on gas and on this and that and you know do spend you know a trend analysis and you know help you understand what you're spending your money on if if you care and then they and then it's like that old saturday night life skit right where they'll call you up and say now listen uh did you really need that new pair of shoes you bought yesterday (laughs) (laughs) all right all right. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm finding the pacing of this show a little bit slower, John, and I, I think it has a lot to do from my standpoint with the fact that I'm sitting in my living room on the couch. Oh, you're on the comfy chair. I am in the Saw comfy the chair. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next thing that we found is called Versamatic. Uh, it's from the Acer Tant, the same folks that brought us Tune Ranger, right, for managing the iTunes libraries. And what Versamatic does is it gives you uh, the ability the easily to go back, you right click on any file and it'll show you any document and it will show you all the revisions of that file, uh, that it has now saved. And, uh, and it, it looks really, really cool. Um, so worth, uh, worth checking out now, you know, I'm looking at their webpage. I know they told us it has Mac support and yet now I'm looking at their, their webpage and, uh, and there's nothing about Mac support on it. So hmm. either either there's a <laughs> – don't download this, folks, um, unless you're on Windows, in which case it looks really cool. I don't know why I have this in my list. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll mention one that you can put on the list, Dave. Okay, good. I do know works for the Mac because uh, th- this, this sounded very similar to something that I did a uh, Monday's Mac gadget about, and, um, and it is called Forever Save. And okay. I actually evaluated the, 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 they have a light version, Forever Save Light. And basically what this program does is it'll kind of hide in the background and y- you tell it what applications you would like to automatically save. Okay. And what frequency, be it 15 minutes, half hour, whatever you're comfortable with, and it'll do that for you. Some programs have this, but, but many do not. Right. Um, and the light version, I think, doesn't have any of the things that was hinted at here, which is like version control and stuff like that. They do have a, I think, forever save regular version. Um, that is a pay program. Yep. And it does include what we're talking about here, which is uh, version control, which um, uh, is always nice. And, and even, yeah. you, you know, and, and actually we were chit-chatting on the, uh, the Mac Roundtable the other day, and, and uh, it's worth noting that Dropbox has this ability. Not 
in the sense of a formal version control system where you can say, bring me back, or, or at least I don't think so, but it'll let you recover things that you, uh, you know, accidentally deleted. Uh, I don't know how it, far back they go, but it's it, it's very it, nice that it lets you do that. It goes back 30 days. Dropbox Dropbox okay. will do this. It goes back 30 days in the free account, and then I think it might be forever, but it, it, it it's certainly many months um, on the on the pay accounts with Dropbox, and it works. But the trick is if you're not connected to the internet and it doesn't have the opportunity to upload your your interim changes of whatever documents you're talking about uh, to the Dropbox server, then it's not the, the version control isn't happening on your Mac. It's happening on the server. So if you're not in sync with the server for whatever reason, uh, then you won't have this. The you know the, there may be some iterations of of whatever document work you're working on that don't get saved. So it's it's version control, but it's not built to be version control. So it's not airtight. Uh, but but yeah, Dropbox will do this as well. So, all right. So yeah, I don't know why I had Versamatic on there, but uh, any Windows users, check it out. Uh, all right, Graham writes. Graham writes. I gotta find Graham's email. Okay. Uh, where is he here? Uh, okay. Uh, we talked about oh that's okay now I'm I'm in business now so a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, Perian and Flip for Mac uh, Perian being a suite of plugins that uh, you install on your Mac and it makes QuickTime a whole lot uh, more compatible with other video formats out there and uh, Graham from uh, from I believe it's uh, Code R Code Three R dot com wrote. Uh, I thought I should add that Parian is not a replacement for Flip for Mac, but rather intended to work alongside it. Flip for Mac does have some functionality that Parian does not replace, specifically WMV files, WMP streaming, and others. So we recommend having both installed. Basically, Flip for Mac has done some things which are relatively difficult to do within QuickTime's architecture, and since they had already done them for free, it enabled us to concentrate on other aspects they did not cover. And... Uh, and so I, I asked Graham, I said, well, you know, can you add any context to this relatively difficult uh, idea for what Flip for Mac? And he wrote, yeah, QuickTime's architecture is not designed to handle formats where an individual audio or video frame is not a single contiguous block of data. And apparently WMV has this issue. So Flip for Mac told QuickTime about a block containing audio and a block containing video where the two blocks are actually overlapping and then sorts out the data in the decoder. Uh, he says it's a very inelegant solution, but in general, it seems to work. Uh, so uh, he's, he then says uh, the only uh, – let's see. Uh, I should also add that this limitation is, is the only thing preventing us from supporting MPG files and several other formats. And uh, there's an, a bug uh, available on Open Radar if, if anybody wants to learn more about this. But in general, use Parian and Flip for Mac to enhance uh, – QuickTime's ability to open various different file formats. And it, they're, they're the kind of things you install them, and then you don't even know when they're being invoked. Um, so uh, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as a standby, because I've known, uh, I use this um, sometimes because I've seen some shortcomings, and um, I believe it's Flip for Mac. I've noticed this, that loading certain WMV files when I load them, yep. it'll sit there and I'll see a little almost like progress bar on the timeline in that... It seems to be like 
parsing or digesting the file in that you can't jump ahead to the middle or the end until you wait for a little while. And I find one thing that's both good for and, and something that you want to put in your geek tool belt for reading video files uh, is VLC player. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It actually came in handy uh, actually when we were at the, uh, when we did the, uh, you know, our live uh, deal at Macworld, a gentleman came up afterwards and he had a video camera with a, a memory card and he gave it to me and being a trusting guy, I took the memory card. I had the adapter with me, of course, <laughs> in my geek tool belt. Put it in my machine, you know, tried to load it in QuickTime. Sure enough, it didn't understand it. And I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me try this. I dragged it over to VLC. Voila. Uh, now, if I had had those plugins, it probably would have worked as well. But I find VLC is always a good standby because it, uh, it understands. Uh, it has its own, own way of dealing with the files. Also, it doesn't seem to suffer from this problem with WMV files is that if I load a WMV file, the whole thing is available to me. I can jump to the beginning, to the end, to the middle right, right away. So, um yeah, so just something you want to have at your disposal in case either of those plugins don't work. Cool. Yeah, that's right. No, I I agree. Yeah, VLC is something you can't you can't live without, and it's free, so there's no reason to live without it. All right, uh, let's see what uh, let's see what Jason has to say here. Hey guys, this is Jason Tucker. I wanted to uh, call and tell you a little bit about this program called Prowl uh, that I've been using on my iPhone. Prowl is a uh, program that lets you get your growl notifications on your iPhone from your Mac. Um, what it is is it's actually its own little notification uh, application running on your on your Mac um, as a as like a growl display component, I guess you would call it. I don't know the exact terminology for it, but uh, instead of having a pop-up bubble or whatever come up, it'll send this information to Prowl, which then sends it over to a server and uh, gets displayed on your iPhone as a notification. Mind you, this is a pay service, and it's, um, it's a, I guess it's just a one-time fee to purchase the application. Um, what's neat about it is once you set that up, so instead of having a little bubble show up, it'll send it over to uh, Prowl. But um, in Prowl itself, you can specify what um, pop-up you want to have be displayed. So it's just, like a, it's just like a way of being able to push this information from Growl to Prowl and then back to a Growl uh, pop-up. One of my favorite ones is music video, which kind of just shows up at the bottom of the screen for a moment and then disappears. So you don't have any like anything displaying on your your screen on your Mac, uh, like a bubble or anything. It just does a little video overlay for a second, and then goes back down. Um, anyhow, take a look at Prowl on your iPhone. It's really good for uh, you know being able to track different things and be able to get uh, all sorts of information onto your iPhone. All right, well, I'll talk. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Oh, okay. I, I, I cut him off as the, uh, as the traffic was increasing behind him. But, uh, yeah, growl is something I have come to terms with. Um, John, you, you've talked about growl before. Why don't, why don't you, just in case people don't understand what growl is, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of explain this prowl thing, but uh, just in case people don't understand what growl is, why don't you tell them, John? Um, I would say growl, I, if I had to call it something, I think I'd call it a notification manager. I like that. What it does is when you run it, um, and, and they provide an API, so it's a, you know, so they provide a platform where applications, if they choose to do so, can hook into it. And this actually, it's a pref pane, and if you look at it, you'll have the applications that that talk to it. And what it does is basically puts a little, uh, you know, little window that comes up on your screen. You can tell it, you know, how you want it to look and and the duration and stuff like that. 
And it's kind of, a, I think, a not totally intrusive way of letting you know that important things are happening. Um, I have it hooked into, I'm looking at my G5, but I have it hooked into Dropbox, for example. So if something interesting happens on Dropbox, it'll let me know. It'll say, oh, some files have been added or some files have been deleted or changed. Like, for example, I run this so I know when, when Dave is starting to, uh, you know, or just to see if something's happening in my Dropbox folder. Yeah. You know, so, so one thing is that, yeah, when, when you know, we're, we're exchanging content, you know, if, if you're adding content to our Dropbox folder, then I see it. Um, Skype, it'll, uh, you know, a number of applications. It's, uh, it's really, now, it's, it's not for everything. Some things can get very chatty and you may not want to know about them. But, um, and you can Dropbox, turn those off. Mm-hmm. It, oh, sure. Right. They're, they're within the Growl panel, each application that registers itself with Growl, there's a check mark where it says enabled, and you can, of course, turn that off. So you have uh, full control over, uh, over how you want it to work. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, I think that was my problem initially was I installed it, and by default, anything that can talk to Growl will. Uh, and, and so you, I suddenly had all these notifications. iChat stuff was coming up in two places because it was in iChat and it was in Growl. Skype stuff, two places. You know, the Dropbox thing was constantly, you know, my Twitter clients were all, it was just all over the place. Like, whoa, notification overload, dude. And, uh, so I just turned off Growl and like, I'm done with that. But then I had a use for it. And that is, uh, the daily super duper backups that I have my MacBook Pro do. And I wanted to be notified uh, if they failed, especially, but also I found it comfortable to know that they succeeded. So I wasn't thinking, gosh, how long has it been? You know, I haven't seen a notification. Does that mean that they've been backing up? Okay. Or does it mean that there's something wrong with the notification framework? Right. And, uh, so now I have it notify me and, and that forced me to go into the growl pref pane and go through and disable notifications for all, but those few things that I want that. And now I find it really, really valuable. Um, this prowl thing sounds cool because if there is something about which I want to be notified, regardless of whether I'm at my max, so if it's really important, uh, you certainly could use that to, you know, to extend the notification to wherever it is you are. Oh yeah. Like uh, your example is excellent. So, so if a backup or other important operation either succeeds or fails, right. And you may want to set it up just to tell you if it fails. Well, well, you probably want to know if it succeeds as no, well. Um, no, I think you could do that. I think you could have it notify you only on your Mac if it succeeds, and only on your phone or both if it fails. So you can. I think it's it, you know it's it's extremely flexible. But it because of that flexibility, it takes you time to to set it up. Yeah, the one thing that I like so they so, so another app that I like using it for it kind of complements them is a lot of these wireless scanners and a couple of the ones that I have will bring up a notification if you know a new access point happens to show up or if one goes away sure and that can be kind of good supplemental information especially if it's running in the background this is the nice thing it kind of gives you and then what they include with it which pretty much replaces something which was an old favorite of mine but i don't believe works uh, very well uh under snow leopard is something called peripheral vision and okay. what peripheral vision does and what the package they include with growl you, you, it's optional called hardware growler and this may be something where you'd want to get alerts as well. If any piece of hardware is uh, or a network volume is either mounted or dismounted or disconnected from your machine, it'll tell you about it. So say you want to know, for whatever reason, if somebody is, uh, for instance, somebody's plugging in another drive or another mouse or something into your Mac, Hardware Growler will tell you about this. And I find it also good for diagnosing hardware problems because it tells you 
at the very lowest level, like say you got an external drive and, you, and, and it's all screwed up and you don't know what's going on. If at least the USB or FireWire interface is working, it'll at least tell you that, saying, hey, I saw a USB interface or I saw a USB device. Got so it. I think it's very useful to, to isolate problems, um, yeah, to, to figure out what level they're occurring. You know, so for example, if, if the USB interface is shot, it's not going to even come up with hardware growler, and that, that'll help you take appropriate action. Oh, that's very cool. That's cool. Cool. All right. Are we ready to move on here? Indeed. All right. Albert wrote in, and this is a question, but it leads into something cool. Uh, he says, I'm hoping I'm not going insane. Don't worry, Albert. You aren't. Or if you are, you're in good company. Uh, but I'm sure you guys spoke about a utility to manage your downloads folder. I've searched the show notes and don't seem to find anything. It must have been about a year ago, and I'm sure it was Dave who mentioned it. I, if I can recall, it auto-deletes old stuff and even does some organizing. Indeed, Albert, you are correct. We did. We mentioned NoodleSoft's Hazel, H-A-Z-E-L, named after the uh, the maid of, of course, the same name. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it, it's funny that we mentioned this back-to-back with Growl because this is one of those programs that you need to spend some time configuring it before it's valuable for you. And then once you do, I think its value uh, becomes one of those things where you couldn't possibly live without it. Uh, so they, they have a 14 day free trial. I think it's 20 bucks or something to buy after that, but make sure that you download this when you've got a couple of hours, maybe not a couple of hours, but an hour to spend going through it. What it does is it, it essentially sits there and monitors all sorts of different things that are happening on your Mac. Uh, the thing that Albert's talking about, it sits and watches your downloads folder and you can have it do different things. You can apply rules. You can say, uh, you know, throw away. If, if I download the same thing twice, throw away the duplicate. Uh, if I have incomplete downloads, you know, throw them away after a day or a week. If I have, if, you know, and then you can set up rules that say, look, if it's a movie uh, and it's from this one website or whatever, you know, put it into my iTunes and assign it to this library and then open the file or whatever. You know, you, you've got all these if-then conditions that you can apply, similar to how you'd use rules in Mail app, but uh, but these are applying to files. It'll also monitor uh, files when you delete an application. So let's say you take an app uh, and you throw it away. It'll say, hey, wait a minute. I noticed you just threw away you know, uh, Firefox. Do you also want to delete all these other files that are related to Firefox, preference files and all that stuff? So it can be really handy for keeping your Mac clean, especially if you're going to be doing some spring cleaning. Again, you don't have to do this. Uh, you can choose to keep them all. You can choose to keep some of them. Uh, it's, very, you know, it's very explicit about what it's doing when it's going to go and delete this stuff, but, uh, but very handy. And then... Uh, and then you can it, – it's got you know some other things. You can edit Spotlight with it, um, various, other, you know, various other stuff. You can, I think it's got some trash, uh, trash management, tons of stuff. But, but again, you've got you've to spend some time going through it. Otherwise, you'll, you'll find that it's useless and you'll say, why, why, am I, why did I download this? Why did, why did Dave and John tell me to get this? So um, I, 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 it's one of those things I have not – Every time I download it, I don't have the time, and, and I, I wind up turning it off. But, but then we'll, we'll talk about it here. Or I'll be at a user group, John, talking or something, and somebody will ask a question that results in Hazel being the answer. And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, i gotta go and, I got to go check that out because I, I think it'll be something I can't live without. So that's that. Do you use Hazel, John? No. No. I'll, I'll have to look at it. See? I'm, I'm trying to think of a reason that I'd, I'd need to, and actually you suggested a few, so... Uh... 
Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things. We just we just need to to dive right in. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a 2010 resolution. By the end of the year, we'll be using Hazel. Uh, it's it, honestly, it seems like the kind of thing that you know Apple should just you know buy or or steal and bake into the OS. I don't recommend that they steal it. I I, I recommend that they they support indie developers, but that's uh, you know it doesn't really matter what I think because Apple's going to do what they want to do. Uh, yeah, we're we're seeing that right now. Yes, uh, we are. That's we're not right. the uh, we're not the litigation uh, podcast, so we're no. not going to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, our second sponsor for this show is Circus Ponies with Notebook. Notebook's an app that lets you take all the data and files and pictures and PDFs that you have related to any given topic and bake them in together into one place. Uh, notebook, it starts out with a white lined paper notebook interface like you've seen in you know countless times before. Uh, in this case, though, of course, it's on your computer. And so you can start typing and you can type whatever you want. You can go into hierarchical mode so that you're building an outline. Uh, and then you can start and you can have multiple pages all in the same notebook. So all in the same topic. And then you start pulling in different bits of data and you can annotate this data, right? So you can pull in a PDF and say, okay, here's this and you can attach some keywords to it uh, and then you can pull in a picture and annotate it and all this stuff is lined up right where you've pulled it into the notebook. So it's all very contextual. You could have some notes about it and then you've got the picture uh, and the stuff isn't separate. You don't have the picture as a separate file and the document as a separate file and the PDF as a separate file. This lets you pull it all together so that you've got one cohesive place to go and, uh, and, and whatever the topic is, you've got all your data right there. Then you can search within the notebook, uh, and and you can you don't have to know what you're looking for. You can you can if you know what date you put it in, you can go check it out that way. If you know a keyword that you decide, you can check it out that way. If you know uh, some text that you typed around that time, you go there, and then you know as long as you had placed the the picture or whatever it was you were looking for, boom, you've got it right there. So uh, this is notebook from Circus Ponies. It's circusponies.com. Uh, and of course it's available as a free download. And then, uh, once you're hooked, uh, you, uh, you can use it for 30 days and then, and then you pay for it. Forty nine ninety five, and, uh, it's available at circusponies.com. All right, John, let's, uh, let's use this little break here to, to follow, to, to move into a, a our follow-up section. Does that sound, does that sound wise? Okay. Did okay. you get that little uh, note I sent you there? Uh, no. But I, okay. I can. I can look for a note. Okay. I'll uh, Skype okay. something to you. Um, so the uh, – yeah, I, John, you, John's mentioning my mic technique, which I'm sure uh, uh, is different today because – I just I just hadn't noticed before. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm probably – Whatever. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no – It's pop, a new mic. There's no pop filter here, and I also have no compression on either one of us. Uh, we're just going yeah. raw. I'm, so. I'm turning into an audio snob, Dave. No, that's a good fault. thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm actually going to back the mic away a little bit so that I'm talking mm. across it as opposed to at it, and maybe that'll keep the uh, yeah. keep the, the pops down. But anyway, so the follow up. I love this. So you, you know, I, I think the the, the last one, the, uh, the which was the startup chime. You were aghast, Dave, and 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 you had recalled. Or, or it speculated correctly that uh, well, we both did. I think that um, you know you should be able to squelch this thing somehow. 
Yeah. But, but you verified for me because I had not tried all of the options. You, you had done a, a, a follow-up uh, to make sure that it, that my machine wasn't broken or anything. I did. I sat here. In fact, I sat right here on my couch uh, over the weekend. We were watching a movie or something. Thank goodness for the generator, by the way. Uh, it's allowing this podcast to happen. But uh, so I, I took some headphones and, uh, and I plugged them in and I restarted my Mac. And sure enough, heard the startup chime. Okay. And then I took a little, um, the mini audio, digital audio adapter that also fits into the headphone jack. Uh, and I plugged that in and, and started my Mac. And I also heard the startup chime. And, and, you know, we had a listener write in saying, I think it's important to note that the startup chime, uh, the, the speakers are, uh, or audio on the Mac is routed via software. It's not controlled via hardware, meaning that there is no hardware break. A lot of times you'll, if you plug headphones into, you know, some device that has speakers, there's actually a physical disconnect that happens when you plug the headphones in audio is physically routed to the headphones instead of the speakers. So you can't have both happening at the same time on the Mac. That's not the case. You could, in theory, have audio routing out the headphones at the same time it's going through the internal speakers. And previous versions of Mac OS allowed us to do exactly that. Uh, it was very, very handy because, you know, in certain situations, if you had headphones plugged in, but you also wanted to make sure you heard uh, things through your speakers, you didn't have to unplug the headphones to do it. The Ooh. current version of Snow Leopard, and I believe Leopard, so 10.5 and 10.6, uh, have not allowed us to do this. It's it's been one or the other, but it it's important to remember that even though the OS doesn't let us do it, it is software that's controlling this. So when the machine starts up, there is no software that says route the audio another way. It's just you know it's baked into the uh, to the to the machine saying you're going to play this sound through the speakers. Now on laptops, it will play it at whatever the previous volume was, and that's where you can control it is if you mute the volume before you shut the machine down and and like we mentioned there are some utilities to do that but uh but huh. but there there it's not a hardware break so okay because it appeared to be based on prior uh older machines that i've had it appeared to be a hardware break i don't it, think well, it's ever been a hardware break to be honest okay it, it, again it just appeared to me because Correct. yeah plug in the headphones and uh right. and, and, and it doesn't come out the speakers what, what this one listener pointed out was you know it you know, start some music playing or start some sound going and then midway through plug in uh, some headphones and you'll hear there's a delay. It doesn't immediately start coming out the headphones. There's a, there's a lag between when it kills the speakers and when the headphones start working. And again, it's just software rerouting itself. And you can even see it. If you go into your sound control panel, uh, it changes from built in speakers to built in headphone jack. Um, so it's, you know, it's all, it's all very aware of what's going on, which is, which is interesting, you know, so moving on, moving on. All right. Less rights, uh, in regards to our waking your Mac from sleep conversation that we had, uh, there's one other reason for a Mac to wake from sleep. If you have an Apple TV, it can request information from the Mac at any time. I was walking by my iMac when it sprung to life and began syncing with my Apple TV. 
Uh, by the way, I know you guys don't have an Apple TV, but I recommend it for watching high definition podcast. Uh, thank you, Les. And th- you know, this reminds me of something. Uh, if you are running, I believe, I believe it's Snow Leopard. Yeah, it's definitely Snow Leopard. If you're running Snow Leopard and you have somewhere in your in your network an Apple router. Now, it doesn't need to be your main router. It could be in bridge mode. It could just be a time capsule sitting somewhere that's not doing any routing. But as long as it's there, um, what will happen is your Mac, your Snow Leopard Macs, will register with that router and say, look, I've got uh, file sharing turned on. I've got iTunes sharing turned on. And, uh, and I've got uh, remote desktop. You know, share my screen uh, is enabled. And then the Mac will go to sleep. But what will happen is that router will continue to broadcast that that Mac at that IP address has all these services available. So you'll, even though your Mac's asleep, you'll still see it in the uh, sharing section uh, in the finder there if, if you had file sharing on or in iTunes or whatever. And when you try to access that service, the, it, really what's happening is you're accessing the router, although you don't know it, and then the router sends a wake-up command over to the Mac that in question, and it wakes it up, and then, of course, the request goes through. So that's another reason that your Mac could wake up. If somebody sees, oh, his computer's on and he has iTunes sharing enabled, I want to listen to his song, that will wake your computer up mysteriously. So uh, that's a yet another uh, thing to, to keep in mind with, with this. Yeah, I don't like the Apple TV. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's an extension of iTunes. I'm not into it. Now you, now you see the uh, sexy new thing that uh, TiVo just announced. Let's talk about this. I, I, I know something happened last night, but I, I wasn't fully aware of it. What, what, what's going on? Well, I don't have all. I mean, I just saw. Uh, so they had a countdown last night. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's, it's basically what you and I have, the Series 3, and they, they add a, a few additional features. I, I don't think it's worth it for us to upgrade, but this looks like, you know, the... Um, box to get okay so it's called the tivo premiere right is that what yes, it is premiere and premiere xl so uh-huh. it gives you uh so it gives you way more hd programming space i think it now allows you to plug in an antenna where i don't believe you could do that with our oh, our uh, version yeah you know my tv lets me do that if i want to do on air i can plug in but and uh, and i think just you know access to and this is my big gripe with apple tv apple tv is an extension of itunes it's not a downloadable video device or download uh, either download purchase or download rent device where the TiVo is definitely positioned. I think they pretty much get anybody who offers video on demand. Um, the, the TiVo will do it. And I think they announced the new remote that'll have a QWERTY keyboard and all sorts of, uh, uh, I don't know. It, you and I both love these guys. They, they just, yeah. uh, they, they just keep kicking it up a notch here. So for you and I, again, for you and I, I don't think it makes sense. It doesn't seem to be like a, a huge leap in functionality, but if you had to get one now, this looks like the one to get. Yeah. Okay. I get it. The, the, the one difference that I can see, you know, and I'm just learning about this as we're talking about it. Uh, but it's that it will do 1080p, and I don't right. believe my Series Three TiVo will do 1080p. I think it only do 1080i. No. Is that right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. We can only do i now. Of course, your cable provider has to offer p, which I do not know if mine does or yours does. No, but but downloaded videos can do 1080p. Or Amazon, if you have a, or if you have a Blu-ray, that that's or, a, well, yeah, but you're not going to do that through your TiVo, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you could also, I mean, you could you could make a 1080p video on your computer and stream it to your TiVo, um, and it, as long as your TV supports 1080p, then you're you're in good shape. So okay, oh that's interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, and apparently there's uh yeah there's some upgrade path for existing TiVo customers. So I'll take a look. I have a dead uh, a dead TiVo Series Two box, so maybe maybe this is my path to upgrade to uh, to Premiere. Oh. Yeah, because I actually did that on the site, and uh, if you click on the right button, it says, "Oh, well, could you please, if if you please log in, uh, yep. we'll give you the upload option or yep. the upgrade options for the ones that we have on file that you own." So yeah, um, yeah. Ah, okay. So I can, I could, I could upgrade and and get lifetime service with it, which would be cool. So, huh? All right. That's interesting. All sorts hmm. of new toys. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, think, think about, about it later. I have to think about this. <laughs> well, for three hundred bucks, I could get one with lifetime service, and I keep my Series Three, and I put it on a uh, a discounted service plan. So. Hmm. Well, I think yeah. If, if you looked at it, I think that's what they do typically. Is that the last time I upgraded? Is that they would let me transfer the lifetime to the new device, and then basically put a year left of service on the old device, which I then sold to the person basically for the price of. The one year of service, because yeah. The device itself, really, it was a series one. Yeah, right, right, right. Which was right. nice. Okay, right. enough about TiVo. We're wow, not the TiVo podcast. Though it is, though, I thought it worth mentioning because you know I think it, it merits a comparison to Apple TV. Which, you know, if they just added hooks uh, without you having to hack it to let you download from people other than Apple, yeah, I think it'd be a, a worthy, uh, worthy contender. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. All right, we'll have to check this out. Um. All right, Stephen. Uh, we, we'd been talking about, again, this waking up of, of Max and, uh, and there was, there was some discussion over some of us being able to uncheck the wake up when, uh, for Bluetooth access box so that your machine wouldn't wake up for Bluetooth access. And Steven actually points out why that may be. We thought it was permissions. Hi guys. I'm listening to episode 244 and you're talking about the iMac that's waking up from sleep um, and uh, they can't disable the allow Bluetooth devices to wake this Mac I'm wondering if the the reason why that preference is not available to be switched off is because if you have a Bluetooth keyboard and a Bluetooth mouse how can you wake up your computer from sleep if uh, you know, if you don't allow Bluetooth devices to do so. Uh, so that may be the reason, and, and it wouldn't be disabled on yours, say if it's a laptop and it has its own keyboard, or, right. you know, if you have a physical or wired keyboard plugged in. So I think that might be the reason why. So it wouldn't be a damaged P-list file. Got it. Um, cool. Thank you, Stephen. That's, uh, that's, that makes perfect, perfect that sense. That hadn't occurred to me. No, it hadn't me either. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah. probably need at least one pointing device and keyboard on, on any Mac. I think that's a safe... I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's doing something smart for you, I think. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, anything here, John? We're, we're, getting, we're getting short on, on time. Is there anything, any of these questions or any of these follow-up tips that you want to uh, go through? Um, yeah, let me look at the questions here. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you know what? You do that while while Kevin uh, gives right. yet another thought on our geek challenge about uh, having an open recent items hotkey available. Take it away, Kevin. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. It's uh, Coder Kev, and I just heard on uh, 
GeekGab245 on the Geek Challenge. Uh, another program that would have uh, worked also is Fast Scripts, which uh, Fast Scripts Lite, uh, the free version, gives you 10 keyboard shortcuts to launch scripts with. And, you know, if you pay the $14.95 for the full version, then you get an unlimited number of keyboard shortcuts. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, listening to you on my Mac, because for some reason my iPhone is playing you at double speed. I've had all kinds of problems since the iPhone update. Don't know why. Talk to you later. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, and yeah, to address that problem that uh, that that Kevin was mentioning about the iPhone playing it at double speed, we've had a couple of people report that. Uh, but the problem is on your end uh, in that it and Kevin figured this out uh, that there is a way of telling it to play podcasts uh, faster or slower than they're uh, than they're built to be played, and and you can adjust that right in the iPod interface there on the. Uh, on the iPhone or on the iPod touch. So where are we going next, John? Uh, let's go to David, David, all the way down here, cross platform encryption, huh? Yes. Okay. Uh, let me find him here and here we go. David writes, um, I have a MacBook and I sometimes work off a friend's Mac. I also have a windows machine at home. I sometimes use and a windows machine at work. I'm forced to use both running XP. Plus the occasional friends machine I may sometimes have to use. I've come to rely very heavily on USB drives to cart files back and forth with me. These devices are great, but their tiny size makes them very easy to lose. I've lost them out of shirt pockets, been unable to find them in my office, and just generally misplaced them before. Usually I eventually find them again, but not before I have a heart attack thinking of the compromised data on the drives. I want to be able to decrypt I want to be able to encrypt the contents of my USB drive to avoid problems that should should someone else find one day. But how do I do this across platforms? I've seen programs for Mac and programs for Windows that claim to do a great job securing data on portable drives like this. But I haven't yet found one that can be used on either machine. Does something like this exist? John? And the answer is, and I also I will link to a gadget that I wrote about this, the answer, and I tried it, is yes. And the answer to this is TrueCrypt. TrueCrypt is a open source, free, I believe it's open source, but it is a free multi-platform that it works on Mac, on PC, and on uh, Linux. Okay. Um, way of encrypting, uh, now the only caveat here is that you have to use it in, in a specific mode here. So one thing it will do is encrypt an entire uh, partition or device. So if you want to take a USB drive, um, and encrypt everything on that, th this will do that for you. And then you use their corresponding utility um, to mount and dismount uh, the volume. Though I think on the Mac, if it installs Mac Fuse, so you actually don't have to use the utility, it'll just mount it. Okay. The, the only caveat is that if you're going to do... Cross now, another mode that they offer is what's called an encrypted uh, container, which is basically a file ah, that you store like in a, a device. Image. And here's the thing. So, so initially, when when posed uh, when this question was posed to us, or you posed it to me, I'm like, you know, this because uh, as we both know, or if you don't know, or the listeners don't know, disk utility lets you do one thing, and it lets you create an encrypted disk image. Now, here's the bad news: uh, it's a .dmg file. That's pretty much specific to the Mac, or at least I hadn't found any way to oh, process right. an encrypted DMG file on an operating system other than Mac. 
And the other thing I looked for, which I'm surprised didn't exist, and maybe nobody came up with a standard, but ISO is just the, and ISO is a, is a pretty much a cross-platform, you know, way to represent the contents of a, of a you know disk, and I would think a drive, but I couldn't find an option to do an encrypted ISO. So uh, the only thing here is that you're going to have to use a partition scheme that that you know both machines understand, which I guess would be MS DOS or FAT sixteen. Okay. Um, NTFS won't work because normally you cannot write to NTFS on the Mac. If you only want to yeah, read, right, then you could. Right, 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 of course. So you could do an NTFS formatted device. And then if you only want to read it on the Mac, then you're good to go. If you want to write it on the Mac, then, then this would not be. Um, so to me, this is a solution. It's, cool. cr- it's, it's cross-platform. It's free. Um, and they even include, uh, well, a link to the, the gadget I did because it talks about a couple other clever things they... Uh, they do uh and, and with any of these things always choose a good password that is key to this they actually yell at you if you choose stupid password like password or something like that sure. because the password is what creates the encryption key and pretty much secures everything so um TrueCrypt, check it out i think this will uh, i think that'll do it for you awesome all right well i think that that's uh that's a, our cue right to bring the band in here wow time just flies time flies when you're having fun and plus, I want to see if they turned on my power yet, and I, I won't know sitting in this room. I can't. I have a light on in the office that would come on if the power came on. I also have a light on in another room in the house, but I can't see either of those from here. So I want to see if they turned it back wow. on. They, they probably haven't. You know, Dave. We totally forgot to mention how people can get in touch with us. All right, go. Two zero six 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 geek, which is four three three five. Uh, you can also call us. Oh no. You just said how they can call us. You can also email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. Last I checked, that was feedback at macgeekgab.com, Dave. That's right. Feedback at macgeekgab.com. If you want to send in just for the premium show, that's premium at macgeekgab.com. But for everybody, that's feedback at macgeekgab.com. We also have uh, Skype voicemail, which can be sent to MacGeekGab. Just open up Skype and place a call there. You should be rerouted to our voicemail, and most folks have been. And I think that does it, right? We're good? Uh, iTunes comments oh, yeah. are always welcome. Yeah. iPhonealley.com is where Michael Johnston is when he's not converting this to AAC for you. Cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth to get this from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yo Jimbo from Barebone Software, PDF Pen from A Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and GoToAssist.com slash Gab gets you your free trial for GoToAssist Express. All of this through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And I think, John, I think that does it. That gets us out of here. Hopefully this show actually recorded and you're all hearing it, but I think we're okay on that front. Yeah, uh, Twitter, John F. Braun, Dave Hamilton, Mackie Gab. Yeah, Mac follow Observer. us on Twitter. Say hi. Ask us questions there. We're happy to uh, help when we can. And if we can't, uh, well, we, you know, sometimes it gets concluded in the show, too. Oh, and Dave, I almost forgot to tell you, I, I got so close this weekend, but I managed not to get caught. Made up.